God spoke to us. Taryn challenged us, and it's, it's always great to have a visiting speaker because somehow they can often do things with us that we can't do ourselves because we, we get used to us. And sometimes God has to disrupt what's going on. We can look back on last weekend and go, that was amazing. And then just let it drift away. And we remember it as something that, oh, that was cool. Let's see if we can do that again. Or we can see it as something different. Something that was transformational. One of the things that made Sunday so much bigger for me than perhaps for most of us was that Sunday happened in a context. And I want to give you the context. So a few weeks ago, the elders went away and said, God, uh, what's our next step, as the elders do every year? And, and God spoke to us in, in what was initially a bit of a disturbing way. Quite honestly, you know, if you know me at all, hey, the next thing, the exciting thing, the, the, you know, what's, what are we going to do next that's going to cause our church to explode? Let's do it. And God said to us, I want you to do what you're doing again. And I'm like, whoa. Wow. I, you know, I was hoping for something a little more exciting than that, God. And then as God spoke, he didn't say, I don't want, he didn't say, I just want you to do it again so that you can do it again. I want you to do it again so that I could begin a work of transformation in your life and in the church's life, and in all of our lives, and in our neighborhood, and in our world. And so you come away from a, a, a week like that, and then, it doesn't stop there, it doesn't stop there, then you invite an outside speaker to come and talk to the leaders of the church when you're going to present the vision. And, and honestly, the outside speaker is somebody we'd asked to come Months ago, Tom Besson from, from Grace Church Riverside, and a few months ago when I said, will you come, I said, I just want you to talk to our leaders about not giving up, about when things seem ordinary. Now, bear in mind, this is three months ago. Come and talk to us about that. And then, Taryn, uh, then, then Tom stands up, and he, his opening words are, I want to talk to you about doing it again. And in that moment, all the elders and all the staff that were at the retreat just kind of look at each other and go, what just happened? In fact, one of the staff who wasn't at the retreat digs Richard in the ribs and says, did he see John's notes? No, he didn't. It was a God moment. And then Sunday happened. I don't use this term very often, but I honestly believe that Sunday was a sign. I really do. I believe that what happened in our church here on Sunday, when so many of us put up our hands, when so many of us asked parents to pray for us, was a sign from God to say this thing about doing it again, about pursuing a deep, 
intimate, transformational relationship with God is something I really want you as a church to do. You see, because my future plan for Westville Baptist Church is that they will know me so deeply that people's lives will be transformed. That our church, our neighborhood, and our world will be transformed. Not just a little bit different. Not just slightly better, but transformed through a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus. For me, Sunday was a sign of God saying, see, this is what I want you to do. Now do it. And so this morning, we, we actually moved. We were supposed to talk about missions this morning. But we thought it was so important to talk about this that we've actually changed our services. We don't often easily do that. But it's just that important, we believe. So this morning, I want to talk to each of us about what our next step is in this journey. When God speaks so clearly, we can't just simply say, well, that was nice, and then go back to the normal every day. We can't simply say that was exciting. Our response must go deeper, and we must commit to going further. Perhaps you were one of those people who put your hand up to commit to Jesus for the first time ever. I'm excited about that. We'll talk about that later on. Perhaps you're one of those people who said, you know what, my, my, my relationship with God had just become ordinary. Uh, there's an old-fashioned word I used to be so scared of when I was little, backsliding. That, you know what that I've just I've, I just really don't care about God anymore. I say I do, but, but he's become a relatively unimportant person in my life. Perhaps that's why you put up your hand. Perhaps you were just a spectator. Whatever you were, God was speaking to every single one of us. I believe God wants to take that moment of transformation and turn it into a life of transformation. God, we know that you've spoken to us. Lord, we know that you are a God who speaks often, but that we often aren't paying close attention. Lord, thank you that you shouted to us so loudly this past Sunday. Lord, may we hear your voice. May you speak to us. And may we be transformed. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I think one of the reasons we don't get transformed is because we, we, we revert to the routine. And I want to read a passage to you that as you listen to it, it's going to start sounding really boring, okay? But I want you to listen closely to this passage because there's a transformational moment that happens in it. Also, don't get distracted and sit here wondering, how is it that those oaks lived so long? Okay, don't, the temptation when I read this passage to you is that they count years. To, don't get distracted, but listen to the pattern. This passage comes from Genesis chapter 5. Verse 6 starts like this. When Seth had lived 105, he became the father of Enosh. Imagine their parenting conferences in those days. After he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. 
Altogether, Seth lived a total of 912 years, and then he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. After he had become the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived a total of 905 years, and then he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalalel. After he had become the father of Mahalalel, Kenan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Kenan lived a total of 910 years, and then he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he became the father of Jared. After he became the father of Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Mahalalel lived a total of 895 years, and then he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. After he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years, and then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. After he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived a total of 969 years, and then he died. Did you hear the moment? Did you hear the moment in that boring routine of the same thing again and again, generation, and not 40-year generations, these are big generations. Again, the same thing, again, the same thing, again, the same thing, and then all of a sudden, this transformational moment Suddenly somebody comes along that didn't just become the father of so-and-so at such an age and then had other sons and daughters and then he died. All of a sudden we encounter somebody called Enoch who walked with God. He didn't just experience a transformational moment in his life. Suddenly everything changes. And he walks with God for 300 years, and then he doesn't die. There's only one other person in the Bible that we know that that happened to. His name was Elijah. He was a prophet, and he went up to God from earth. There's a great story about a little girl who comes home from Sunday school one day and her mom asked her, what did you learn today? She said, mom, we learned about God's best friend. His name was Enoch, mom. And him and God used to go for long walks every day. And one day they'd walked so far that God looked at the sun and he said, Enoch, we're never going to get home tonight before dark. Why don't you just come home and sleep at my house tonight? You see, what a transformed life. 
What does a life look like that's like that? And this passage doesn't even tell us. It doesn't give us anything other than this, that Enoch walked faithfully with God. But that's not the only thing the Bible has to say about Enoch. You see, there's another place in Hebrews chapter 11. And if you know the Bible reasonably well, you will know that Hebrews chapter 11 is a very famous passage. It's a passage, it's called the Hero's Gallery of Faith. It's a passage that lists legendary people in the faith. And it, it talks about people who sacrificed their lives. It talks about people like Moses and Abraham and, and all of those people that we read about and we go, wow, if only I could be like that. Transformed and transformational people. It's that passage. And in that passage, it gives us a little bit about Enoch because he's one of the guys who makes it in there. He's got one Two verses in the Old Testament. But he makes it into this legend passage. And listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read from the message version. By an act of faith, Enoch skipped death completely. They looked all over and couldn't find him because God had taken him. We know on the basis of reliable testimony that before he was taken, he pleased God. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. The reason Enoch was Enoch, the reason Enoch had a transformed life, the reason Enoch makes it into the gallery of the legends of faith is that he lived by faith. Not in one moment during a spectacular church service. Not every now and again because there was a good preacher. Not every now and again because a crisis happened in his life and so he woke himself up and changed his ideas? No. The passage says his life was transformational because he walked by faith, faithfully, every single day with God. And then one day God said, Enoch, you can't get better. You can't get more transformed than you already are while you're still in this world. So come home, sleep at my house tonight. What did Enoch's faith look like? If you go and read that passage in Hebrews chapter 11 that talks about the heroes of the faith, you will discover that these aren't people who have nice lives. These aren't people whose lives are easy. These aren't people who believe in God and so God gives them their Porsche and their nice house and their beach cottage and all the money in the world. Those people's lives are not like that. To be sure, there are very rich people in there. But there are also poor people. There are people whose names we never have heard, who, who, who died because they loved Jesus and were fed to wild animals. So their lives weren't suddenly easy because they believed. But their lives were transformed and transforming. Because they walked every day with God. They lived a faith that pleased God. 
The first thing about that kind of faith, the first thing about that transformational faith that you and I need to know is that that kind of faith is a faith that commits. I wonder how many of us would go, I'm going to stick by some principles when we know we're going to live for 300 years. I sometimes have a battle living by a principle for a whole week. I don't know about you, but true story. But when we know we're going to live that long, when we make a commitment, it is a big commitment. But we cannot have a transformational faith journey unless it starts with a commitment. Putting our hands up in a service on a Sunday. It may be smaller than that. For me, it was lying in my bed at home, looking up at the springs of my brother's bunk above me and making a commitment. I I love some of the commitments in the Bible. They're not even like real. They don't look real. They're just weird. One of my favorite commitments is Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector. Everybody hates Zacchaeus. He's a short little guy. And he wants to meet Jesus. He wants to see Jesus. He doesn't really even want to meet him. He wants to see Jesus. So he climbs up a tree. And as Jesus comes past, Jesus looks up and says, Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm going to go and eat at your house today. Who of you came to church on Sunday thinking you were going to be transformed? Who of you came to church last Sunday going, I'm going to put my hand up today? I bet you none of you who put your hand up did. You came expecting something. That's why you were here. But I'm I'm sure you didn't. I'm sure when Zacchaeus climbed that tree, all he wanted to do was, I wonder who this cool new guy is in town. And all of a sudden, Jesus looks up at him and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm eating at your house. And we read We don't know what the conversation was that happened after Jesus and Zacchaeus had a meal together, but we do know that Zacchaeus came out of that going and said, Master, if I've ever cheated anybody, I'm going to pay them back ten times what I've repaid them. I'm going to give away half of the fortune that I have amassed. I'm just going to do it. For some people, your encounter with Jesus may have been a sudden moment like that. Where you were expecting one thing and then something else happened. But for others, it may be like, like Moses. You know, Moses lived connected to God his whole life. I mean, he was a miracle. Uh, he didn't die. And he was the son of a, of a pharaoh. And he had this amazing life. And he knows God. And then he kills somebody. Imagine that. And then he runs away. He still knows God. But then one day he's looking after sheep and he sees a bush burning in the desert. And uh, the Bible, so I love the Bible, the Bible says, um, and Moses thought, that's unusual. Let me go and see what that's about. Because this bush is burning, but it's not burning up. And he encounters God. And he makes a life-changing commitment. You see, it doesn't matter where your journey is, whether you've had a Zacchaeus kind of journey or a Moses kind of journey, you've got to have a transformational moment. But not only that, you see, this transformational moment needs to go somewhere. In the early church, one of the first things they did 
after people had this encounter is they said to people, you've got to go public with this. You've got to go public with this. You've got to go and get baptized. Now for us, the cost of baptism or the cost of going public, telling somebody about it, is possibly a bit of fear or a little bit of getting over our fear of water. I mean, that's, or is it going to be cold? Next Sunday is probably going to be cold. But for those early Christians, that public commitment often was made at the risk of execution, quite literally, being fed to the lions in the Circus Maximus. That's just what it was. But they didn't go, no, it's, you know, it's, it's a bit dodgy. So just kind of sneak in here on a Sunday. Don't tell anybody. Because, you know, it may be embarrassing. So they didn't do that. Those transformational moments, they knew that you're going to live a life that is transformed and best get it out there now. Best get that information out there now. Get out there. Be baptized. Tell others. Be in touch with the Holy Spirit. You see, you're going to get guided by a new thing now that your life has been transformed. You're not going to get guided by, by your own ideas or, or what's going on in society. Scripture says you're going to be guided by the Holy Spirit. And you need to learn how to listen to Him. And you need to learn how to obey Him even when He asks you to do difficult things. Jesus said to His early disciples, go and wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes on you. Then you will receive power. And then you'll be able to go out and live these transformed lives. If you put your hand up on Sunday, or even if you think you should have and you didn't, please go public with that. Please go public with that. Tell people. Tell others. Something happened to me, oh, and it is weird, and it even feels a bit embarrassing, but tell somebody. Get baptized if you haven't been baptized. Because God wants to transform your life. Ask somebody, how do I listen to the Holy Spirit? And we're going to give you opportunities to do that. We're not going to leave you out there in the cold. So, so this, this transformational faith, first of all, is a faith that commits. But you see the real, real, real secret with Enoch he said he didn't just have a faith that committed. He also had a faith that traveled. He had a faith that traveled. He walked with God. Who of you likes traveling alone? I don't. I like traveling with other people. And it's so clear from the very beginning, in, in, in ev almost every story, Moses, first thing he says to God, God, this mission you've got me, I'd love to do it, but I've got a speech impediment, I can't handle it. God says, don't worry, you won't be alone. I will be with you, but I'm going to send your brother with you as well. And he'll be able to do the talking when you think you can't. The Bible doesn't tell us who Enoch traveled with. We, we don't know. 
But I'm telling you now, Enoch traveled with other people. He did not walk that journey of faith on his own. He joined others. That's why in our church we say, if you've made a commitment, join a group. Don't just rely on what happens here on Sunday, but but get involved in a life group. Get involved in, in some kind of group that can help you in this journey because we don't listen to God as individuals alone. We listen to God as a community. The early church knew this right away. They got together. The first thing they did, when Jesus called his disciples, he called 12 of them. He says, because I'm going to need you guys to kick each other around a little bit, to sharpen each other, to be on this journey together. And as a community, they lived life. Jesus says it like this. He says, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am. He never meant us to do this journey on our own. See, we need that so that we can know how to live by and follow God's word. There's some people in our church that have been on their faith journey for 50 years. You can learn a lot from those people. Not because they're perfect, but because they've had 50 years of making massive mistakes. And you can just learn from them. That's why I feel so sad whenever I ask somebody to mentor somebody else and they say, no, I can't do it because I'm not good enough. That's exactly why we're asking you to do it, because you mess up all the time. And you can help other people avoid those kinds of mistakes. Most people fail most of the time. And so your failures have more to teach them than your successes. But we've got to travel this journey together so that we can learn from each other how to follow God, how to obey God's word. We've got to learn how to pray. And that's strange. One of the things you ask people to do is to pray. And they all like, and they just can't. We've got to learn how to do it. It doesn't just happen. And you learn it by being with other people who pray. And by sometimes just committing and saying, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it now. I'm going to do it. You see, in that journey, something incredible happens. When we live it by faith, when we say this journey isn't about me, this journey isn't about my success, this, isn't, this journey isn't about anything other than God who saved me, God who loved me, God who came into this world to transform my life. When we live our lives by that beacon, when we live by faith, when our life pleases God, our life is transformed. See, it's not just a faith that commits. It's not just a faith that travels, but it is a faith that transforms. Paul hated Jesus, and he hated Christians. He hated them so much. He was very godly, by the way. He was very religious. He kept all the laws. He wasn't a bad person. He he did all the things he was supposed to do. He thought he was pleasing God. But, but he, he, he was so passionate about pleasing God that he used to throw people like you and me in jail. And then one day he meets God on the road and his life is transformed. 
what happens next? He starts transforming the world. First, Christians don't want anything to do with him. Sam, you go and read the book of Acts. There's this one guy, God appears to him and says, hey, um, and his name's just gone right out of my head in this moment. Uh, he says, there's this guy called Saul, and I need you to go to his house, and he's my chosen vessel. And this guy says, you've got to be kidding, God. He's no, have you heard of the things Paul does? And God says, I've heard, but I've chosen him. I'm just telling you, you've got to go to his house. He's staying at this house. You've got to go there. And he goes there and God begins this incredible transformation in the life of Paul so that he goes from somebody who hates Jesus, hates the church, to the most powerful tool that God uses in the New Testament to build up the church. The same person. Because he was transformed. And a transformed life can't help but transform the other lives around it. Remember I spoke about Hebrews chapter 11? See, every single life in Hebrews chapter 11, every single life, whether it's a completely anonymous person who got fed to wild animals, or it was Abraham who gets, you know, three books in the Old Testament. They are there because they lived transformed and transformational lives. They are there because the world that they lived in was profoundly changed because they lived in it. And they lived in it by faith. They walked with God in faithfulness. God has called us as members of this family to a faith that pleases God. A faith that allows God to transform us. And then in turn transforms our neighborhood. And then in turn transforms the world that we live in. But it can't happen unless you and I are prepared to jump in. Prepared to say, I'm in. I'm going to live this faith journey for the rest of my life. And so we want you to do something. We want you to do something. We want you to jump in. We want you to sign up. If you put your hand up on Sunday, we want you to tell us about that. And you can do that by going to the info desk and just writing your name down there and say, contact me. We want you to become part of a group. Richard, later on, is going to tell you some really practical steps that we can do so that we don't just go away and in five years' time look back at last weekend and say, yo, there was lacquer. But we look back at it and we say, God changed everything. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I'm going to pray for us. And then Richard's going to say a few things and then we're going to end as we just remember the God who we worship Father God, teach us to walk with you, we pray. Lord, teach us how to live today and tomorrow and the next day 
and the next day as people who are transformed, who live by faith, a faith that pleases God.